Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your hosts, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. On today's episode of the Market Dominance, guys, Chris and Corey continue their conversation with Jason Beck, Vice President of Sales at Enerex, by addressing how sales got a dirty name. Chris explains that in ancient times, the salesman met the buyer face-to-face, but the encounter was usually a one-time transaction. Then, the camel caravan moved on, and if the buyer wasn't happy with his purchase, there was no one to appeal to for a replacement and no one to lodge a customer complaint with. Ancient sales was a hit-and-run relationship that frequently left a bad taste in the buyer's mouth about salesmen. But in modern times, the sales is never over because the telephone and the internet have created an ongoing relationship between sellers and buyers. The modern salesperson needs to understand that you can run, but you can't hide, which makes it imperative that reps provide value to their customers. Jason and the market dominance guys segue into a discussion of what type of personalities are best suited to be salespeople and what types should definitely not hold this job. The attributes of being proactive and persistent are touted, as well as the importance of being in sales for the right reasons. As Jason puts it, if closing the deal at the end of the day isn't what you live for, then don't be in sales. This team of sales savvy guys wraps things up with a discussion of the cycle of the sales process for a new product and why it works. As this podcast title says, to strategize, execute, evaluate, and repeat. Sales is so delicate because we have to ask first, what did they get out of it? Mm -hmm. And as an expert, can we be an honest broker and be on their side? Because it's actually imbalanced. I know more than you do when I'm selling to you. Therefore, I have to take your side in the transaction. Otherwise, it's imbalanced. Mm -hmm. That's just simple. That's just a fact, right? And an imbalanced transaction will always come back to bite you because at some point there's a further relationship, except 2,500 years ago, sales done at a crossroads and the Silk Road or 1,500 years ago or whatever, never see me again. Yes. That's where sales got, got the, dirty, the dirty name. You'll never see me again. That's not the modern world. So I think of sales now, I'll call modern sales is different from ancient sales. Ancient sales was a transaction between strangers haggled under the time pressure that somebody's got to move on. The guy in the caravan's got to move on. The guy at the crossroads, the trader gets to stay, but it's got to dump the inventory. At some point, a deal is struck and it's over. In modern sales, it's never over. No, especially- And that's the difference, especially in tech. It's an ongoing relationship and it's really, you know, maybe we should be coming up with, you're not a VP of sales, you're the VP of relationship management, right? At the end of the day, but that's really what it is. It's that relationship. I agree. And then I always thought that was very interesting. Asking for the close comes so easy for me because if you talk upfront about somebody's problems, you discuss what different alternatives and how, what they're valuing besides you and or evaluating, right? Besides you. And then you pitch your solution. The last thing is, is okay. Now, now that I've showed you value and I've answered all your questions, can I have, can I have your commitment? And that's never been the hard part uh, of sales. 
I think where it gets the dirty connotation is simply it's on that upfront. It's what it's on what you guys do the best, Corey, right? In terms of opening those doors. And I think that's the hardest part is people don't want to be quote unquote sold to. It's great. Well, there needs to be a reason that we're here today. You have a problem, right? And understanding that problem first. So that was really uh, eye-opening to me, Chris, is how you talked about too, that, you know, how important we are as salespeople. I think most salespeople either feel they're super egotistical, right? And I'm the coolest thing since sliced bread, or they kind of feel if they're not getting those transactions and they're not having success, that they feel a little minimized, right? But the level of importance that you just shared on that is, is we are the crossroads, sales is the crossroads between on how the, comp, the, the economy continues to grow. That's a great way to phrase it, man. I'm going to steal that. Every, well, everybody depends piece. on sales, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep it. Well, for instance, I, I hold a few patents, as Corey knows. One, one or two or 16 or what, I don't even know what the number is, right? Some of them are, I, I would say important. Some of them are ancillary. Uh, the ones that were important were of no value without sales. Mm-hmm. The ones that were ancillary, ancillary. But the, even the ones that were important, in fact, the more important they are, the more dependent the actual value is on sales. And also think about this, when you patent something, it has to have three characteristics. It has to be novel, it has to be useful, and it has to be non-obvious to one skilled in the art. Well, novel means you can get people interested in it, but they're repelled by it because it's novel and therefore has not been tried, right? Useful is great, but things that are useful are solving problems that are already being solved. You don't get to solve new problems, you only get to solve old problems. Non-obvious means scary, right? And somewhat insulting, like I didn't think it up. Mm -hmm. So now you have this problem, the more valuable an innovation, the harder it is to sell. Mm -hmm. And therefore sales becomes ever more important. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it seems, Jason, then with that, with that perspective on, on sales, how, how do you think, if we really put you on the couch here, how do you do so well with this profession of sales where the connotation and the denotation of what it means maybe is a little bit sullied to you, or it's a little bit, you know, uh, not as uh, not as clean as hey I'm an engineer I'm a product marketer etc. But yet you do it so well and you were obviously attracted to do it. What's that end result that that kind of polarizes you to to do a profession as well as you're doing it? Clearly. Well, cheers. Thanks again for those kudos. I'm big. I'm pretty big on personality profile tests. I really do believe that there are traits that we have as individuals that make us kind of who we are, right, as a person. By the way, anything that's about your personality, in certain situations, it's a positive, and in certain situations, <laughs> it's a negative. So for anybody who's watching this, like, don't don't think just because it's part of your personality, it's always a bad thing or it's always a good thing. That's how you judge yourself. And yes, there are certain times where you have to take something in your personality. Like my example is that I really care what others think about me. Now, I'm not fearful. Fear is a fear is the, the it's the it's the end of that like it's the far end of that spectrum. I won't even talk to somebody because I'm fearful that they won't like me. No, but I really aim for everyone on the other side of a conversation with me to walk away that they got some sort of value, even if it wasn't a transaction, that they learned something. And I know you guys feel that same way, right? You're you're I'm I'm in it and I'm in this game of sales because I want to provide value to others. And when they gain that value, I want them to remember, hey. Jason, Jason, he was right. 
he, he came through on what he said, right? And, and the NRX team supported all that vision and this Pied Piper mentality that I have in, in our industry is to try to move people along. So listen, at the end of the day, if, if, if closing a deal is not the most exciting thing to you in the world, don't be in sales. Because that is really what we live for at the end of the day. That is why we get to celebrate. I am in it for providing value to people, but I also really enjoy when there is a sale made and then that customer is happy. When we have our NPS score, which we just rolled out for the first time and it's 44 and it's like, wow, we're actually really? having customers that are happy and, and they are willing to promote us, if, you know, for all those who know what NPS is, right? Um, that's fantastic, right? And that's that's kind of why I'm in personally in sales, but I, that personality side of things, I, I do, I do believe there are certain personality types that should never try the profession. And then there's other types that would never even know that they should try the profession and really mm. should. Right. And there's more of those. I think, I think sales is something that can be taught. It can be learned. It is a skill set. It's not tips and tricks though. It's relationship and you got to be in it for the right reasons. What are you working on as a sales professional now at your career? And, and then also, what do you see that as you were coming up through the ranks that you wish you would have learned now from a, from a sales trait or from a perspective or from a talent or from a, a habit? That's a really great. So I, one of my best skill sets personally, I think is, everyone will tell you this, I'll have a fun story about this, is persistence. Persistence, I think, is the one thing that a lot of people aren't don't have that drive, that high D personality in the disc profile. That's only 10% of the personalities tested out there is the high driver mentality. And that's definitely my biggest skill set. I am more persistent. You don't, if, if you tell me that you want, you know, that, hey, call me in two weeks, you're going to get called in two weeks, like to the day, to the hour, to the minute. I joke around with people and say, you know, my bathroom breaks are scheduled on my calendar. Back to persistence for a second. Um, my, my story with persistence is that my wife, I asked her out freshman year of high school. And that was when we were, what, 15 or so. And she said no. And nine years later, after college, somebody mentioned her name and I reached out to her on Facebook and then we had a couple of dinners and then we got married. And so don't give up ever, like to always be in everything you do. And so first off, I would say my number one skill set and what has carried me through so far is the fact that I produce more, more than most because I am so proactive and I'm so driven and I'm really trying to get to the next, try, trying to move, move things along constantly. You asked an interesting question though, which is, what did you want to learn earlier or what do you think you didn't know? So my first real job out of college, I ran my own company for a year with a friend of mine, but the first real job was Constellation New Energy. Uh, Constellation is a Fortune 500 company. It is the largest retailer still as of today, I believe. Direct Energy and Energy just merged together. So they're, they're going to be 1A and 1B now, um, like two of the top five just merged. Anyway, um, getting into a company like that at a, as a 22 year old and learning the sales training, there's a gentleman named Tom Freeze who write question-based selling and a whole slew of other books. He came in and he, I mean, he's a high dollar trainer. Like, like if I, I was going to say, if I had a Chris or a Corey to come in and train my sales team, right. These are high dollar, high paid top tier consultants. And so having that training early on, that was invaluable. And I thank Constellation so much for that portion of my early career. And I think that did help set the stage um, for my, I know it said that I started off in marketing. I 
was doing flyers and actually running them through the mail machine to make sure that they got out to tell the market. And then my transition to sales was we were having so much success with the lead generation. The salespeople were like, oh, no, that one's too small. It was still a $10,000 transaction. What do you mean small? That's still a big transaction in my mind. Millions of dollars in business that we could be gaining. And so the thought was, is start up a small SMB team. And that's what we did. And that's how I made my transition into sales. And honestly, it was right into sales management. It wasn't even into carrying a bag. And I said to myself, you know what? I actually have to, I got to carry a bag, right? I got to, I got to do this because I don't, how can you train somebody on what you don't know how to already do? So for two weeks, I called and just made sure that I, I could actually do this, but lots of confidence in myself. And yeah, it was successful. And then honestly, throughout my entire career, I really didn't get back into sales specifically carrying a bag and having a quota, et cetera, until this last role. Everything else was really sales management and leadership. Now it is this whole Pied Piper and I'm the one that's responsible for the revenue at NRX and carry that weight on, on my shoulders and, and, and my team's shoulders. So we'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Just to make clarify, you are a sales leader or leader of your company who actually does sell. Chris, yes. that's uh, that's an alignment, I think, with with some of your philosophies, is it not? <laughs> well, who's your rep, Jason, at Connect and Sell? Oh, that's a good question. So Doug, Doug <laughs> my, my, my counterpart is uh, the one that's answer. Right. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm your rep. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's the answer. I'm your rep. And I believe that the intelligence flame front of a business takes place in the sales conversations and and the sales outcomes that are happening every day. And as a business is evolving in the marketplace, if you're not out there selling in the front lines yourself, you will lose touch, in my opinion, with how the business has evolved. And you'll leave gaps for competitors to walk into. They get ever bigger with every day because the business is changing. The only way you can learn what's really going on is to clean off the windshield and drive the damn car. Have to, yep. You got to be on that front line uh, again, carrying carrying a bag. And it was I knew it was important early on. That was that was a great learning. But even now with what we're doing at NRX, my I feel my role on the sales team uh, is always to sell the new product, right? Because that there's no playbook for. Nobody sold it. How do you even know how to sell it? Well, again, I come back to what I really truthfully believe in, which is. By the way, strategy is nothing without execution. Execution is the most important part of my cycle. It's strategy, it's execution, it's valuation, repeat. And that execution part, I think any, there's a lot of people out there that come up with really great ideas. How do you execute on them? And can you have that iterative cycle and can you fail fast? Can you make that process quicker so that you can get onto that next thing? And then once you have a pretty good way of doing it, it's time to hand it off to somebody who can make it even better. When I hired Doug and, and, and even when I look back in my career, I always say, I'm really good at getting that car from zero to 60. Mm-hmm. But then once it's at 60, 
somebody to take it from 60 to 100 miles an hour, that's a totally different skill set, right? To improve upon an already existing process, I always think that that actually takes somebody that's slightly different. Again, this could just be me as a personality. I'd love to hear you guys take on this, but I'm really good at figuring out what's not been figured out before. Once it's figured out, I think it's working. So it could be better, by the way. I'm not, I'm not so cocky that I think my way is the right way. No, my way is a way and somebody can improve upon that. So I, I like stepping out of the way at that point and then giving my baby right or car over to that next person who can take it from 60 to 100. That's proven out three times in my career so far where that person has been successful at driving even faster than I have. But I'm curious, do, do you guys feel that that's different? Somebody to, to do something that's never been done before versus somebody that can improve upon a given sales process or product selling of a product? Uh, I think that the ability to, to, to take something from scratch and innovation from scratch to market is a completely unique, I mean, very different kind of skill set because your cycle times for that cycle you described, which is the strategy execution evaluation cycle, and then back to strategy again, it's got to be really, really fast. And you have to be very, you have to be passionately cold. And it's very hard to be passionately cold. And so it's not your baby. You kill that damn thing three times a week, but you come across to other people as highly committed and highly passionate and really, really interested in the outcome. So you commit 100% to the execution that's associated with that particular strategy and implied by it, but your evaluation is a cold, cold, sharp knife. And when you cut, it's gone and you go back you tweak the strategy and you execute again. I think that mix is rare and belongs in that zero to 60 part. There's another cycle time that's just longer that's required to take something bigger that's up and running and do the same thing, but to do it and have the patience to watch it play out. I don't have that patience. I just don't have it. But if I'm pretty good at what you do, Give me something new. I'll take it up to the point where now it's it's running, it's functioning. And somebody else will do a better job than I do at taking that to the next level of big. Now, when you look at enterprise health, the, the issue with the enterprise is always that you have two things to, to conquer. You have markets to conquer with your current innovation and you have the natural next innovations, which are never obvious to turn into something worth conquering markets with. And if you don't do both of those, you just go out of business. We have a whole podcast episode called All Dead Companies Are Equally Uninteresting. And it describes the process by which companies become dead companies by failing on one of these two fronts, right? So I I think these are two different kinds of horses, but I think the main difference is, what is the cycle time that you're comfortable with going from strategy to execution? So for me, strategy to execution cycle time is about a day because I can't imagine working on strategy for more than part of a day. You exhaust the possibilities. It gets uninteresting. It's like, I'm going to cross the river. I'm going to go this stone, this stone, this stone, this stone, or maybe this one, this one, this one. They look about the same. I'll pick this one. Okay, now let's go give it a go. Oh, wait a second. That one rocks. My foot got wet. I almost fell in. Let's come back now. What? Okay, let's try this one, right? That to me is natural, but for some people it's not. So I think it's a a big part of it has to do with your natural cycle time for 
running through that. I also agree with you that execution is the key for a funny reason. And it is that the strategy itself will end up ossifying. It'll end up becoming a, a thing that is like set in bone or stone and becomes the subject of discourse. Whereas the subject of discourse needs to be what happened when we did it? Not did we do it and did it work, which is a completely different question, but what happened when we did it? Right. And you got to execute cleanly, the very, very clean execution and not cheat in the middle of the execution. An example is this, I've told you about this. When you're executing cold calls, you must not qualify. The reason you must not qualify is that you dirty the execution on the strategy, which is your list. The list is the strategy. And if you qualify during the, the execution, which is the cold call, then you're not actually executing, you're fixing the list at the same time. So you're modifying the strategy on every single conversation and therefore you get no iteration and you have a broken process and you can't evaluate and you can't go back and tweak the strategy. So you know, done correctly, cold calling is the execution mechanism to take market hypothesis, which is the list and immediately turn it into something you can evaluate. But I think that is a horses for courses kind of thing. That's right. That's right. In the last few minutes together, I think there's a good springboard into this concept, Chris, about being a specialist versus a generalist. Because I think with what we're hearing from, from Jason is that in order to kind of build this trust that he has in the marketplace, right, it's okay, because even though they're in competing industries or quasi-competing industries, et cetera, Right. Jason seems to come off as a specialist, which means it's, it's Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, right? It's okay. A specialist can always teach a generalist. And then it's always all right for you to approach a generalist because you know you're secure enough in your self-image to take advice from a specialist versus another generalist. So what do you think of that, uh, Chris, from what you've heard, uh, Jason, as far as how he's approaching the market from his vision as, again, as this Pied Piper, it's regards to specialists versus generalists? Okay. In all cases in B2B, the idea of sales is to allow the buyer who is a generalist to be safe. It's a risk reduction exercise. So the buyer needs to become convinced that it's safe to, to buy from somebody. And that means they have to trust the specialist. If the buyer were the specialist, they just go ahead and buy for themselves. They wouldn't need anybody, right? So the salesperson by definition is the representative of the specialist and must be a specialist themselves. Now there's one exception. And the exception is at the very top of the funnel, the seller is selling the meeting and the meeting is a universal product. So the seller is selling the temptation or the curiosity about meeting with the specialist, meeting with the expert, but they don't have to be the expert themselves. And that's why the only bifurcation we get a function in sales that makes any sense at all is if we decide to have a specialist in setting appointments and a generalist at taking somebody into discovery. That one can work, but you have to be very, very careful with it so that you're not qualifying. Because as soon as you qualify, you're saying you're a specialist. So true. You know, and it's, it's funny because I was going to ask before. Thanks for answering that, Chris. Chris, because I was I was kind of interested. How did you mean that, right? Because as a entrepreneur, when you start up a company, by definition, you're a generalist. 
I wore, I wore part of a marketing hat. I wore part of a customer success. I wasn't just doing sales, right? So many more things that have to be done to really stand up a business. And then as, the, as you get to hire new people and bring new A players into your organization, right? You naturally become more of a specialist when it becomes uh, to what the role you do with inside your organization is. Having said that, when you look at it from the transaction or the discussion with the customer, if you don't have expertise and you're trying to actually sell the product, I don't think you can sell that product. You have to understand it better than the consumer, like Chris just said. And I do find it really interesting. You guys take on this top of funnel. It, it's why I'm here. It's why we had this discussion. It's why what Corey and Chris were doing actually worked on me when I got that phone call and I said, oh, wow. Yeah, I got 27 seconds. Let's go. Let's talk. And then it ended up being 15 minutes, but it opened the door. And I really believe that that top of funnel activity, what you're talking about, that doesn't need a, a specialist. It needs the person who can actually execute on getting the meeting, right? And taking yeah. that next step. You want to talk yeah. to the specialist. And, and I love that, what you guys do with that top of funnel activity. It's fantastic. It's, it's also very delicate. And it fails for the same reason time and time again, which is that instead of just selling the meeting, the rep sells the product right. or the promise of the product. And the meeting is just about the curiosity of what, what might this be? And then a certainty, and the certainty is they'll learn. When the prospect comes to the meeting, they're going to learn. And what they're going to learn is known in advance. And therefore, that's what you're selling. That's why we recommend that the breakthrough script has got these three pieces. One of them is economic, one of them is emotional, and one of them is strategic. Because in the breakthrough discussion, which is called discovery, you're going to learn something economic, something about handling some of the emotions that come about in your business and something about where you're trying to go, which is strategy, which you can use whether or not you ever transact with us. And that's the key. It's the whether or not you ever transact with us that makes the meeting an independent product with its own features and its own value. Until that happens, you have a problem, a psychological problem, which is an approach avoidance problem. That is, you're approaching somebody and scaring them and asking them to trust you at the same time. And they avoid you. And what do they do? Well, they enter a state of confusion and a state of confusion, they exit. And that's the false negative problem that plagues all of sales. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Very well said, man. Love these conversations. I really do. Chris, Chris and I have had now four or five conversations. I've loved it and courageous. Everything you guys are doing, this breakthrough script that you guys use at Youngblood, I love it. And for all those, not that this was ever asked for and the check's not going to be in the mail, but if anybody's trying to save time from their sales force, I'm a firm believer in what Connect and Sell is doing. It is going to, I'm very excited to see what it does for my sales team, but it's going to alleviate this time that they really spend, the time that they hate, which is actually getting somebody on the phone. And that's a lot of time. And I'm very excited to see what it's going to do for our organization. We need, we need to uh, give Susan that little clip, uh, don't you think, Chris, from Jason and all the podcasts. So. Yeah, dollars will come rolling in. Well, thanks, yeah. thanks for that, Jason. Uh, this is this is always the fastest hour in podcast in the podcast world for me. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. And Chris and I know we we besides my mother, we also listen to our podcasts a lot. Um, <laughs> oftentimes, you just you plug Chris in and you you feed him a cookie and you listen to the whole song here and, it, and all these nuggets come come through. So. Well, with that, Jason, thanks for, for joining us here in the hot seat on the market dominance, guys. 
Every time we flip on our lights or pay our gas bill, we'll be thinking of you and all the, the help on crossing the chasm from all your other brokers and clients out there. So with that, this is Corey Frank and Chris Beal for the Market Dominance Guys. Until next time. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.